Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Capital Adulting Podcast. My name is Grant Gardner, and I will be your host today. And I'm really excited to bring you this episode, which, as you may have gathered from the title, is going to be focused around seven financial mistakes that I believe a lot of us out there are making today. Just highlighting those, which could be potential areas of improvement in your life, and you know, looking for some applicable lessons and insights of, of how to make improvements and to, to better yourself. Um, so if you haven't given episode one a listen yet, I would certainly recommend pausing this one and going back and listening to that one. Um, in episode one, I really spent some time doing a deep dive into the vision and values of the Capital Adulting podcast, doing a bit of a deeper dive also into my personal background. So I think it does a good job of really, you know, establishing kind of the context and the framework of, of where I see, you know, Capital Adulting going in the future and, and kind of the, the end goal for the impact that that we'd like to have. So again, if you haven't given that a listen, pause this one and and go back, jump into episode one, and then um, come back to to here once once you've kind of listened to that one. But um, overall, I'll just give kind of a brief background on myself. Um, So again, my name is Grant Gardner. There's nothing nothing too special. It's not a name you're going to recognize. It's, you know, I'm just another ordinary person who's incredibly passionate about helping those around me especially when it comes to financial matters. So I, I also really enjoy learning about investing and budgeting and kind of like new opportunities to, to better myself financially. And I love the opportunity to couple that with the passion to help those around me because you know, as I spent some time kind of coming out of school, I've seen those around me not have that same focus, right? Have how to, you know, best improve their financial standing. And that's led them astray a bit. You know, they've made some unfortunate mistakes and, and you know, it's, it's items that could haunt them down the road, right? And so I I don't want to see, I don't want to see anyone go through any unnecessary turmoil, right? There's a lot of things where, you know, if you do them, do them right initially, then you'll be in great shape, you know, moving forward in life. So hopefully through the Capital Dolting podcast, you'll be able to glean some good insights into, you know, maybe financial topics that you haven't considered before, or maybe identifying some weak points or just opportunities in general to to, to improve your, your overall financial standing. So um, again, I did a really deep dive into that in episode one. So definitely go check that one out if you haven't already. One thing I do want to cover before I jump into kind of the you know the core content of the podcast here is is the capital adulting mission statement. For me, this is something that I hold really near and dear, and I think it's important to to reiterate this on a consistent basis, just so you know everyone out there is reminded that the the end goal of of capital adulting is to improve the community that it creates. Right? I I'm personally not in this for any sort of you know self gain, anything along those lines. I think I have some some insights that could be valuable to those out there who might not necessarily be, you know, wired for or incredibly passionate for the financial side of things and would otherwise ignore it. And hopefully, you know, through this, you know, you'll be able to again kind of like pull in some some insights that'll be that'll be helpful for your own life. But it all kind of comes back to the core mission statement, which is. Our mission is to positively impact the fiscal well-being and security of others through guidance geared towards improving financial literacy and accountability. So I know I'm harping on episode one a lot, but I pretty much broke that mission statement down, you know, word by word, just to go really deep into, you know, why, why that's important to me 
and why you know each aspect of that's included there. So yeah, that's you know towards the beginning of episode one. So I would for sure start there if you haven't heard that already. But you know, kind of enough enough really of kind of my background and you know the kind of teen up episode one. Right, you're here for episode two. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So. The main point of the of the podcast episode today is to cover you know seven financial mistakes that I see a lot of folks out there making. Before I get too far into that, I want to kind of walk through the philosophy or a little bit of the mindset of you know approaching, handling, and correcting mistakes. You know, so. I have my notes here. I just have like making mistakes and then financials in parentheses because I think some of these takeaways are are certainly applicable not only to just financial matters in life but really everything out there. You know, I think there's I think nowadays it's easy to kind of, you know, just brush off mistakes and, you know, sometimes our ego gets gets in the way and and we don't necessarily want to acknowledge that, you know, there was some fault on our on our part. So, trust me, I fall victim to that all the time and that's why I you know wrote down a handful of items here that I think is it's really good to kind of center around you know before jumping into the, the mistakes themselves but the first thing for me is I think it's really important to acknowledge that screwing up or making mistakes is going to be a part of life so you know for me it's really easy to kind of reflect on my past and you know off the top of my head, I can point out, you know, a handful of you know small and large mistakes, right? Things that I regret happening, and I and you know, I look back and kind of kick yourself, right? You're like, man, I I wish I knew this at that point, and that would have prevented me from you know that from falling victim to you know whatever it might be. But the thing is, you can't beat yourself up too much on that front because you you're approaching that with you know that 2020 hindsight that that already you've learned from it right you learned oh man i wish i hadn't made that mistake because if i had known this i would have been i would have been fine right well a big part of why you know that now is because you made a mistake the first time and that's why i think when when you when mistakes are made the number one priority should be on on learning from them right it's to me, it's kind of a given that you're going to fix it, right? Fixing a mistake is, is some, somewhat of a given. So beyond that, I think the primary emphasis is on learning from it, right? Taking some time to reflect on on what went wrong, how did you get into a particular position, what steps did you, do you, did you take or do you need to take to get out of that bad position, and what's going to be, you know, your process moving forward. You know, I kind of had a funny lesson, um, a financial example of this. So a lot of y'all might be familiar with the company Peloton, which makes you know, the fancy exercise bikes and does the classes and all of that, right? So before COVID, you know, about, about a year ago or so, they were famous for all the wrong reasons, right? They launched a commercial and people, you know, there was a certain connotation with the commercial that was it was a negative one, right? It reflected negatively on the company, and probably like in the week or two after that commercial really went viral, you know, their stock price went down fifteen percent or so. So me trying to be the sneaky opportunistic guy figured, hey, you know, it's stock's oversold, I'm gonna buy in. So bought some shares, you know, held it 
held it through. You know, I think I, I bought in at you know maybe 32 bucks a share, something around there, right? We get to March, drops to 18 amidst the pandemic really going crazy. And it slowly starts climbing up, right? People are working out more at home. They're buying equipment for it. And so it gets back to pretty close to where I, you know, where I originally purchased it at. So I'm like, okay, sweet. You know, I'm, I'm ready to really just get my money out. I, I don't want to hang on to this. Um, so I set an order to sell all my shares at a given, at a given price, right? Where I'd have a pretty minimal loss, just ensuring that it didn't dip all the way back to 18 and, you know, I'd be down 50% again. But what happened is I put the wrong type of, of order in to sell. And so it never reached that point where, you know, my, my stopping point where I wanted to get out, it just immediately sold all my shares. And so took a small loss, which isn't the end of the world, but if, you know, if you're not familiar with Peloton now, that stock, you know, sold it at probably 31 a share, right? You know, it's now at, geez, last time I checked, I think it's $125. So it's been like a four, four time multiplier this year as they've really taken off. And so I mean, a couple couple easy mistakes there. One, I put the wrong sell order in, and that burned me. Two was I invested with a bad plan, right? So how do I learn from that? Well, I can take some time to step back and understand, okay, let me research what are different type of orders and where did I go wrong there? Also, what is my what was my plan? Why did I did I invest in something with a legitimate plan or was that just a gut feeling that burned me, right? And so it's so key to take some time to reflect on those lessons and apply them because it's the reflection is one piece, but the application is really the, the, the driver, the winner, right? You know, you might, if you think something in your head, but never act on it, never execute on it, then you're not going to receive, you know, the benefits. You're not going to derive any positive aspects of the pain of the first mistake because you're just going to think about it in your head and say oh, okay you know and then kind of bumble into making the same mistake again which for me in the in the aftermath of you know making a mistake and kind of reflecting on and applying lessons my personal number one item or goal really is to never make the same mistake twice and you know it in my perspective from my perspective, I think making the same mistake twice is indicative that you didn't take the time to reflect on it and you didn't learn from it. You didn't apply anything new, right? You set yourself up, you know, you, you tripped up one time and probably able to recover and get, you know, get back to even fix it, whatever it might be, but you get tripped up by the same thing a second time. Then, then what did you do after the first time? Where was that application? And that's, again, it's, it's it's tricky, right? It's it's a tough part of life, but that reflection and application is so critical. Um, and I think one thing that people also don't recognize about making mistakes is the impact of the people around you, right? So you make one mistake, you know, especially say like a work mistake, maybe like your team, your your manager, somebody like that, your clients, like they're going to be impacted by the mistake. And what I found is most people are are comfortable forgiving one mistake, right? Depends on the severity, of course. But if you make, you know, say a moderate mistake, you kind of screw up some some information, a project, whatever it might be, that's understandable. If you can 
kind of demonstrate that you take the time to really analyze the steps that led you to making the first mistake and seeing where things went wrong and understanding where to to adjust your process because that that's where the application comes in is made a mistake and said okay you know this is an eight step project on step six I went this direction I should have gone that direction and because I diverged there you know it's that's where it went wrong and so identifying that weak point is is important because you you want to adjust your process to avoid making the same mistake again right again showing those around you and yourself that you reflected you applied it you learn from it and you're ensuring that it's not going to happen again i actually had an instance at work where we were pulling information for you know for a particular client a larger client we were pulling sensitive details from you know one system into another and you know unfortunately you know i i made a mistake there where i said you know the, as we were pulling the, the data, I only pulled over, you know, a certain, you know, certain pieces of information, not everything I needed. So what happened was, you know, now this client's trying to, you know, do some, some really important things with, with the sensitive information and it's, it's not available, right? They've got basically half, half of the information's in one system and we overrode the information in the other. And so now we're missing really key details. And so, yeah, I got the joy of spending a couple business days <laughs> going through and, and fixing that mistake, right? Pretty painful lesson because that was a, you know, very, a larger client, like I said, something very apparent to our entire team. And, you know, I was, I was pretty, pretty down about it. But, you know, at that point, once the mistake's made, no point in wasting any energy on like, oh, I wish it wouldn't have happened, right? You can only fix it and then learn from it. And so we actually then changed our process moving forward of, okay, when, when we're looking to pull this specific information from this one system to another, we're going to, you know, we have a term, right? We're going to, this is a master migration. And we're with the, with the master migration, we're going to pull in these, these eight data points, right? So that way we can ensure across multiple teams we know exactly what we're bringing in and we set in you know we set a process of okay we're going to pull that information as soon as that's in verify it boom execute on it we're good to go that way we won't risk losing the information again so another real kind of again that was a work example for me but a real life example is you know something as simple as like overspending on a credit card right like maybe you're going out to eat several times or, you know, going out on the weekends, maybe you're booking a trip, something like that, where maybe you have a higher credit limit and you're able to spend more than you can afford. Right. So what's the, what's the, the lesson there is you gotta, gotta track, you know, making the mistake of overspending, gotta track your expenses, understand your income. Um, and then what's the process change moving forward? Be doing something like putting a limit on your credit card. Um, you know, I've seen there's cards out there where you can limit by category, right? So you can say, okay, you know, I'm going to spend $200 in groceries in a month. I'll give myself $60 to eat out a month. Items like that where you can actually restrict what you can spend on different categories. So that's what handling mistakes looks like, right? Identify it, fix it, learn from it, apply the lessons learned. Um, and then change your process to make sure that you're not going to make them again. 
So with all that being said, I think that's a good primer for really the the meat of the of the episode today, which are seven financial mistakes I see a lot of folks around me making on a perpetual basis. Um, and you know, I think it's important to to call out that these are um, again they're common, and I'm trying to. It's not an exhaustive list, but I'm trying to pick out some of what. I see a lot of younger folks making nowadays and hopefully I'll put it into a relatable way where you can kind of spend some time reflecting in your own life to see if perhaps, you know, you're making some of these mistakes. So without further ado, let's jump into the list. So I've got mistake number one here is you're glued to your phone or your devices. You're just simply spending too much time, you know, surfing, social media, playing video games, any items like that, right? And I, trust me, uh, I fall victim to this plenty. I actually get a kick out of every time I go visit my girlfriend, you know, iPhones will track your total screen time, right? And it's always funny because, you know, I might spend a week up there at a time and I'll get the notification and I'll be like, oh, your screen time is down 60% this week. Um... And that's just mind-boggling to me. Maybe I can dish some of the blame off to her, but definitely not. That's that's on me. I'm I'm wasting my own time, right? I could be doing something better with it. And that's really the the overarching issue at play here is just not understanding the value of your time and and simply wasting it. Um, I think this is a good point where you know maybe take take a couple minutes to think about. How do you spend, what's your day to day look like, especially your weekends, right? Like, if you're in school or if you're working, like, what are you doing when you don't have, when you don't have to be doing anything? Are you looking for ways to, to improve yourself, to learn new skills? Or are you like, oh, cool, I don't have any responsibilities, I'm just gonna kick back and relax, right? There's definitely value to relaxing and, you know, being rested and items like that, but it shouldn't stop you from looking for new opportunities to to just improve yourself. Like a new skill is so valuable in, in a lot of ways. It helps you to you know potentially uncover new passions. You develop new hobbies. Maybe it opens the door for a new a new job, right? Like I remember when I was in school, somebody was talking about you know teachers, um, and it was you know to get a teaching job. If you had a minor in Spanish, that it would, you know, it made you like 70% more likely to get hired or some astronomical figure, right? Things like that, like maybe for teaching, you might think, oh, I need to learn how to, you know, teach basic concepts, right? I mean, you teach second graders math. Well, you can't teach somebody math, you can't speak the same language as them, right? And in areas where, you know, English and Spanish are really can be interchangeable, you can see the value there. Right, so going above and beyond and learning those new skills is is so so valuable to your future. But just from a pure time standpoint, you know, I think there's there's you can roughly estimate what your time is worth, right? If you just take your hourly wage, like let's say you're making twenty bucks an hour, and you know you choose to just you sit around on an afternoon and you watch four hours of Netflix or something like that, right? Well, those four hours, 20 bucks an hour, that's that's $80. And yes, I know that you can't work 
every waking moment of your life and you're not going to to monetize everything but that can be that can cause like a shift in your thinking right there is hey like my my time really is valuable and it's finite right like there's ways you know you can go out you can make more money you can you can find ways to pull together new re- like other resources to do new things right except for time time that's wasted you'll, it'll never come back it's it's just gone and so if if you're not spending the majority of your time improving yourself and and giving yourself a better foundation for life then you you're simply going backwards and it's and it's just it, it's it's unfortunate and something where it's it's easy to project out in 20 30 years you might look back at those moments and be like man I wish I'd really learned learned this first, right? Um, I think that goes along with kind of my next point here about utilizing your time for learning. I already touched on this, but you know, good example is I got got a buddy of mine who works in works in finance, right? And he's just you know kind of he's good with life, but he's like I'd, I'd like to learn a new skill, and so he's starting to dive into to coding, just software engineering, to learn a little bit about that. And it's like you don't even have to. You don't even have to go super deep into it, right? It's not like you need to be like, okay, I'm giving up my, my finance career. I'm going to do software engineering. No, it's it just opens up your perspective, right? Maybe, maybe you find out you're really passionate about it. Or it just opens you to a new way of thinking and a way to connect with different types of people, right? Like if, if you've spent any time around software engineers, like you know that you know, it's easier for one engineer to speak to another as opposed to, you know, maybe like say a salesperson talking to a software engineer, right? It's just different skill sets and different perspectives on things. And so you can bridge that gap a little bit, right? Just making that kind of first step, that first foray into, into learning that new skill. Um, you know, and there's so many resources out there that do it. I mean, LinkedIn's got a bunch of courses, YouTube, YouTube's awesome. I mean, there's, so many different avenues to pick up those new skills that you know it's it, being able to leverage your finite amount of time has has never been easier. And then I think it's also important to to make wise time trades. And so what I mean by that is you know we've all done it to where at a certain point you know you're willing to trade X number of dollars to save a certain amount of time, right? So I think car maintenance is a good example. So, you know, you might, let's say you need to change the oil in your car, right? And if you're going to go have somebody do it, might be, let's just say it's 60 bucks. And it'll take them, you know, 15 minutes and you're good to go. Or, you know, you can do it yourself and you pay, you know, say 25 bucks for oil, 5 bucks for an oil filter. So now you're at 30 bucks. But, you know, it might take you, what if it takes you two hours, to to change your oil so yeah you're saving thirty dollars cash but you also used what an hour and a half hour and 45 minutes more of your time so at that point is it worthwhile to just pay the extra 30 bucks it, it might be depending on where you're at in life but there's plenty of instances in which you can save money by making you know wise time trades and just just deciding to use your time rather than paying for somebody else's 
Um, I think a great example of this, um, again, speaking of car maintenance, is <laughs> I had to change... Uh, I've had two instances now where I've, I've had a taillight burnout on my car, right? So first time, um, I'm still in school. I, candidly, I know very little about cars. I rely a lot. I've got some friends who are car guys, and it's great being able to rely on them. I don't know a whole lot about cars, so I think, oh, taillight's burned out. Well, where's the nearest shop? Let's see if they can replace it for me, right? So I find a place. Easy enough. They swap it out. Cost me 50 bucks for... A super, you know, for a relatively quick repair. I can't remember exactly how long it took them, but not too long. So fast forward, second taillight burns out. At this point, I'm working, not making a whole lot of money. And I'm like, you know, this this can't be that complex, right? And so <laughs> I decide, all right, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it myself. So I go, I buy the bulbs, which lo and behold, I find out you can get a two pack of these bulbs for something ridiculous, like four bucks. Right. So big difference. Um, and then, yeah, I get my toolbox out. I'm all excited. I'm going to swap the taillight out. I pull up a YouTube video and I find out it's so easy to do it. You don't even need tools. Literally, you could just you basically just manually unscrew some some bolts and pull the headlight or the taillight you know, compartment out and swap the bulbs. And so it cost me four dollars for the lights and 15 minutes of my time to make that change whereas i'd paid 50 bucks to have somebody else do it before right so there's times where it makes sense and then other times where it doesn't like also had to swap out brake pads and rotors in my car recently and i don't know about you i'm probably not going to trust myself to change out my like work on the brakes by myself so fortunately had a mechanic friend of mine work on it with me which was also awesome um but you know, again, goes back to what I said, wise time trades, right? Don't put yourself in a dangerous situation where you might not have functioning brakes. So that kind of covers mistake number one there. It's just wasting time. Don't waste time. Um, going into number two here, first thing I have to ask is, who enjoys getting a raise at work? Who Who likes making more money? I think hopefully everybody out there who's listening says me absolutely i love making more money because that's realistically how you should feel um especially if it's making the, making more money to do the same amount of work right well here's a trick to giving yourself a raise with mistake number two here is stop going out to eat so much <laughs> i when i was doing the research on this i was i was stunned um i pulled up an article from business insider Apparently, the average American eats out 5.9 times a week. So basically, six times a week going out to eat. If you run some quick math on that, let's just say it's 10 bucks a meal, right? So 10 bucks a meal, six meals a week. That's $60 a week times 52 weeks. You're talking now over $3,100 a year on just going out to eat. And we all know, you know, we, sometimes you'd be lazy and just you don't want to cook, right? Totally get it. But think about that, $3,100 a year. And on top of that, that's money that's that's that you've already paid your income taxes on, right? So you probably had to make 5000 you know, $4,500 to $5,000 to then have the $3,100 to spend on, on eating out, which... 
is mind-boggling when you put it into that perspective. And so, the you know, the overarching issue here, I think, is pretty clear. It's, you know, cutting down on expensive and unnecessary spending. Something where, you know, you might... You know, you might be able to make the same meal that you paid 12 bucks for, and you can make it at home for two, right? Um, that's so key, and I see that's the biggest thing. I one of the biggest things I think I see with with younger folks right after they get you know out of school and into the workforce. You know, they're they feel flush with cash. They got a lot of money on hand. Maybe they're not necessarily like super into cooking or don't really know how to. Oh, well, it's just easier to go. You know. I'll go swing through Chick-fil-A or something like that. Which again, it's it's fine in moderation, but think about if you eat, if you were to maybe you eat out for lunch, you know, all 5 days of the week and then go out once on the weekend, that's your 6 meals. What if you brought your lunch 3 days a week? Not even all 5, but 3 days a week. Well, you just cut, you know, cut how much you're spending on on eating out in half. So you just saved yourself almost $1600 a year. That's pretty sweet. I think all of us would be really excited to, you know, get a free sixteen hundred dollars back in our pocket, especially if it's as easy as spending some time just doing some meal prep, right? Really, an- another underlying piece to this to this challenge is that you know small but consistent expenses add up. Uh, one thing that I I definitely catch myself on this quite a bit. You know, if if it's a one-time charge, like say, you know, I'll go with it. It's fifteen bucks, right? Ah, no big deal, right? Fine, whatever, fifteen bucks. Or, you know, you're signing up for you got Netflix, you got Hulu, you got Spotify. You know, you're paying for all these subscriptions, right? Like one, you know, by themselves, not a big deal. But you start adding them up, and now you're like, okay, I'm spending seventy bucks a month in subscriptions. Or, for instance. Yeah, this conversation with my dad, who big big fan of Directv, right? He loves baseball, pays for all the extra all the extra baseball channels, and he was really excited because he got his Directv bill cut from like I can't remember three hundred bucks a month, to like two hundred. Think about that, like that's a huge expense. I mean, that even by itself seems like seems large, but couple that with some of the other streaming platforms and whatnot, like those subscriptions add up quick and they become so routine they're just like built into your budget right of like okay you know i've had i've had direct tv forever guess i'm gonna have direct tv forever you know i just gotta pay what i gotta pay but that shouldn't be the case you know take some time like critically evaluate your spending habits understand where there are opportunities where they're yeah, where are those avenues which some of that routine spending is really doesn't it, it doesn't need to be routine, right? It doesn't even need to exist. That should be money that's going directly to my bank account. Like I don't don't need to be spending it. Um, and that comes back to you know with money in general, it's so important to to really value it, right? And I in an era of a lot of electronic you know, payments, charges, right? You can shop online, do all the stuff online. It's easier, I'd say, when when you're not handing physical cash over, making a purchase seems easier. So keep that in mind. Really value your money. Try to find easy wins. You know, like I said, bring bring lunch three days a week to work. 
and you just saved yourself 1500 1600 bucks a year right find those easy wins to put money back in your pocket and then celebrate them like think how much better you'll feel if if you have that extra $1,500, right? Did it really change your life to bring your lunch three times? Probably not, but that $1,500 could. That can make a big difference, you know, especially if you're you know, looking to pay off debt or a myriad of other things. I think we could, anyone can use an extra $1,500 in their life. All right, jumping to mistake number three here, and that's can't afford car maintenance and i think this one's just really top of mind because obviously i just went through kind of two rounds of car maintenance examples but i think it's one of the most common things that i've seen amongst younger people that lead where it exposes this this kind of overarching issue here which is failing to plan for the unexpected for those hidden expenses it's it's so easy to make a static budget, right? Okay, $200 on groceries, $100 on gas, $100 in insurance, right? Yeah, you can go down the line items and it's fine. You total up, you say, okay, you know, maybe for example, I'm making three grand a month. You know, with all my expenses here, I'm spending 1800 a month, um, you know, so on and so forth. Like, yeah, that's super easy. I mean, you know what's not easy? Well, what if you get into a car accident? What if, like, what if you, you know, have something, something breaks on your car or a medical bill comes up? Could you, if just out of the blue today, you got hit with a $500 expense? Like, do you have the cash to cover that? If not, that's really what, why I'm calling this one out is because gotta be prepared for the unexpected in life. Um, and on top of the the brake repairs I made recently, I you know went in for a just a routine dental appointment, right? You know every six months, and everything looks good. You know X-rays are good, you know and whatnot. So dentist cleaning my teeth, and he feels like something kind of catches on you know on on a tooth, right? So he's like, huh, that's weird. Pull up the x-rays. He thought they looked good initially. He goes, oh, man, you, wait, you see this? And he points to, I swear, probably the smallest, tiniest possible, like, little black line in one of my teeth, right? And he goes, oh, looks like you have a cavity here. And that's what I was, you know, feeling back there. Um, and so really the only thing we can do is, you know, we should put a crown in, right? And I'm thinking, wow, okay. Well, I was, you know. Mentally, I had budgeted, well, this was just a routine dental clean. That's covered by my insurance. This should be free to me. Now he's saying, oh, okay, you need a crown, right? Well, lo and behold, there goes 400 bucks, right, to get that fixed. That was totally unexpected. You know, are those the kind of things that as you're, you're budgeting and you're saving money and you're kind of planning your financial future, are you, are you staying on top of having enough set aside for those big expenses. I know I know a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck and I think that's it's okay if it's a temporary measure, right? Like let's say your first few years out of school, maybe you do need to live paycheck to paycheck purely to just afford life, right? To pay rent, to buy, you know, buy food, put gas in your car, pay down debt, whatever it might be, you might need to live paycheck to paycheck for a while. But in terms of a sustainable life plan, 
that just sets you up for failure because it's inevitable. I've seen it in my life numerous times. Uh, I've seen it in those around me a ton of times where life's just going to hit you out of nowhere. And when it does, you want to be able to, to handle those without, you know, ending up in financial ruin. So my emphasis here is on making sure that you start an emergency fund and put a good amount of money into it. I'd say the the aim, you know, my personal aim and the general consensus is to have, you know, at least six months of total expenses saved. So let's say like, you know, if you were to lose your job tomorrow, you know, you want to have enough money set aside where you have, you know, you can cover your rent, mortgage, just general expenses for at least six months, right? To tide you over until, until you find a new job, something like that, which, you know, frankly, there's a lot of folks out there going through that right now. I think COVID has highlighted just how fragile jobs and health can be. I mean, we saw, saw tens of millions of folks hit unemployment, go from what, 3.3 or 3.4% to, to double digits to historic unemployment, all in a matter of a few weeks like nothing we'd ever seen before. And you can't plan for that. You can't plan for that specific instance, but you can plan for a crisis in general, right? With that emergency fund, making sure that you're set up to still succeed and thrive and and just stay afloat, really. Not necessarily succeed and thrive, but stay afloat um, as you're going through a crisis. Uh, Another personal story of mine, put this in the context, um, this happened when, when I was in still in school. I, you know, go to bed on a Saturday night, total, feel totally fine, totally normal, right? Wake up Sunday morning and I can't walk straight. Literally walked in the walls, couldn't like double vision, all, you know, a lot of fun there. So that, you know, one thing leads to another, go to, end up going to the hospital, got diagnosed with a pretty rare kind of autoimmune issue and they say all right you know we'll treat it no worries but you're gonna have to spend a week in the hospital for the treatment so that to me is was such you know such a firsthand visceral example of i literally at 21 years old i was totally fine one night next night i'm spending a week in the hospital and so think about that like that could be if you know you're gonna if you have Hopefully you have health insurance. If you don't like that, I think the total bill without health insurance for that would have been a quarter million dollars, which obviously I couldn't afford. But fortunately with health insurance, it's still several thousand dollars to reach that max out of pocket, right? So the emergency fund comes in there where it's like, okay, like I know I have this covered and I'll be good. I can pay my max out of pocket for my health insurance um, without without you know having to, to go to other extreme measures. So... Again, another example of life changes so quick. Make sure you have the money set aside to handle it. And with that emergency fund, that's not money that's that's invested in the stock market. It's not invested anywhere. It's not trying to do anything. You're not you're not trying to make a return on your emergency fund, right? The whole point of that fund is that it's accessible and available at a moment's notice when you need it. So if you have a $3,000 expense that comes up, you have the ability to go in immediately withdraw 3,000 and cover it without having to, you know, put it on a credit card and go into debt that gets compounded, right? So 
plan plan for the unexpected expenses in life have that emergency fund set aside mistake number four kind of segues with along you know based on what i was just talking about segue into to number four pretty well and that's you know mistake you're, you're only paying the minimum on your credit card and this is one of the most dangerous life mistakes right because there's there's items where you know you can say you save money on not eating out you know you maybe you have to kind of do something creative to find 400 bucks or an expense right like those are those aren't too bad but paying the minimum on your credit card is incredibly dangerous and it's it's a two-fold trap too because one is not your not understanding just how punitive or how scary that like building credit card debt is and the repercussions of it but it also if you start you know running recurring balances on your credit cards then you're going to end up with a bad credit score and that has further implications that also can drastically affect the quality of your life but the first part not understanding debt fully so when you know in layman's terms when you're using a credit card you're essentially you know you're paying something with borrowed money right you're not paying cash at that moment you put it on your credit card you know you, you you have maybe month monthly statements right and then you know that falls on one statement and then usually get 30 days or whatever you know 20 days whatever it is to actually pay it right so in some cases like you're not paying for like you can buy something today and potentially not pay for it for 45 to 60 days but got to keep in mind like it costs money to borrow money right so credit card companies are okay with the arrangement saying yeah we'll basically we'll basically front your money um you know as long as you pay it back by this date and if you don't pay it back we're gonna start charging you interest and credit card interest rates are about as dangerous as they get outside of maybe like payday loans right which are kind of a whole different ball game but from from my experience i've seen average credit card you know interest rates are anywhere from 18 to 24 percent which is crazy in an environment where the you know federal interest is basically zero right it's still could be 20 to 24 percent on your credit card which is so hard to pay back right and then if you continue just paying the minimum that balance just grows guy i was doing some research into this topic and i was stunned because I've, i've never really considered only paying the minimum before but i found out on mine the minimum payments one percent of my statement balance so if i had if i ran up a thousand dollars on my credit card I'd only have to put 10 bucks down for me to, you know, not be like in bad standing with a credit card company, right? But if I do that, now I have $990 still on my balance, running at 20% interest and growing until I pay it back. <laughs> I looked at my last statement and I assume there's some law about how they have to display this, but so below the payment amount, the minimum payment, they show, you know, how long it would take, you know, if you pay it back in three years versus if you continue making the minimum payment. If if you only make the minimum payment for mine, it said it would take 54 years to pay it off. 54 years. And the total that you would pay in would be more than triple what the original statement was. And that absolutely blew my mind. I 
genuinely have not been that shocked about something in the financial space for a while. Again, like I said, I've never even considered it because I know how dangerous credit card debt is, but 54 years. And then even if you were to pay it back in three years, it was still, still the you'd pay 33% more overall in just those three years than you would if you just paid it today, right? So basically if, if it was $1,000 today, and you kind of like ran up the interest and were paying it back over a three-year span, you'd pay back in $1,333. And then you think about what value did you get for that extra $333 that you paid in interest? Absolutely nothing. And what you get then also is is a bad credit score. Um, as you're running balances and you're running up credit card debt, like your score is going to go down. And there's a lot of aspects of life that your credit score factors into, you know, like Anytime you need to borrow money, right? Maybe you're maybe you're looking to you know purchase a home, right? And you want to take out a mortgage. Maybe you're buying a car. Um, you know, I, I there was an example of somebody recently who was doing a refinance on their house, and because of their credit score, they would have to pay half a percent more in interest on that refinance um, than if they had a better score. And that's another big piece. If, if you don't have a good credit score, you're, you're going to pay a higher interest rate on things. So again, what value do you get out of paying for paying interest on things? Nothing, right? So you want to minimize how much interest you're paying. And as credit scores go, I'll definitely do a deeper dive into this topic. I already wrote an article about it, but we'll dive into it more uh, on a show soon. But it's one of those things where it's so much easier to maintain a good one than to repair a bad one. A good example is if you think about a GPA, you know, high school, college GPA, whatever it is, you ever hear those stories of like, you know, folks, like I, I had a buddy, right, who his, you know, first year of school, he kind of goofed off, didn't, didn't work as hard academically as he probably should have, and he barely passed, barely stayed in school after year one, and he spent the next three years just building his GPA back up, right? And I eventually got to like a pretty pretty solid point, but he easily cost himself, you know, half to three quarters of a point on a G on his GPA just because his first semester, first two semesters hurt him so much. And that's the same thing with credit, right? You want to start strong. You don't want to blow it in your late teens or early twenties, right? You want to build up a strong credit score early and keep it rolling through life so that way you're not so that way when you're trying to find an apartment and they run a credit you know a credit check on you you're not going to get denied and you can't then you have to live in a less than ideal place so a lot of quality of life implications there avoid credit card debt keep your credit score high mistake number five not optimizing your employer's 401k plan so this might be this may or may not be relevant to you if you're still in school and you're not employed or if you're working for an employer who does not offer a 401k plan. This might not apply as much, but still good to keep you know in the back of your mind as you pursue new opportunities in the future. But the overarching issue here is just not planning for the future, right? So 401k, for those who aren't familiar, is a retirement account. It's sponsored by your employer. And oftentimes they will match some, you know, some percentage of your contributions, right? So basically for your 401k, you can, 
you can commit money to it, um, usually on a on a pre-tax basis, and then your employer puts in money as well. So a pretty standard plan is where you could put in 6% of your in, your income, and your employers are gonna match, you know, 50% of that. Um, so, you know, so they'll match 3%. So if you put in a hundred bucks, they're going to put in 50 on top of that. And if you think about that, that's absolutely free money, right? That is an instant 50% return on your investment without, without doing anything. All you have to do is put money into your account and your employer took care of it. And so I would recommend for anybody out there, if your employer offers a 401k plan, put in at least the maximum amount that they'll match. So like my example, if you put that they'll match, you know, 50% of, of your 6% that you put in, at least put 6% in, right? Just that way you're, you're let you're getting that benefit. You're, you know, you'd, you'd rather be able to invest $150 today than a hundred, right? So take advantage of that plan. Again, it's free money. And then the beauty of it is, is you get to let that money work for you, right? And you get to utilize compounding interest, which you may or may not be familiar with compounding interest. Uh, essentially, it means letting your letting your gains or your returns continue to grow exponentially. So, simple example: let's say you know, and you invest a hundred dollars, and a year goes by, and maybe you got a a ten percent return on your investment. So now your original hundred dollars after a year is worth one hundred and ten dollars. Then let's say you leave it in for another year and you get another 10%. Well, now the difference is you're getting 10% of $110 rather than just 100. So instead of getting having a $10 gain, you had an $11 gain. So now your account after two years is $121 and so on and so forth, right? So that's where if you let your gains compound over 40 years, that's where you'll see this massive, massive growth, which is why it's so important to start early. Take advantage of that employer match. You know, let let your investments compound and grow over 20, 30, 40 years, and you'll be amazed at how valuable it is. Along with, you know, slight, you know, slight side note, um, back kind of like the overarching issue again is just not planning for the future, right? You'll, you outside of your 401k plan, you'll still want to plan for the big expenses in life, you know, and so items like, you know, buying cars, buying houses, having kids, planning college funds, affording maybe your wedding or your kid's wedding, right? Those big ticket, big life event items, it's so important to have, you know, the cash on hand and the ability to, to pay for some of those. So, Again, don't live paycheck to paycheck. Start saving that money. Use your 401k. Save money on the side. Like it's totally good, totally okay to max the employer match in your 401k, have your emergency fund fully funded, and and still save a bunch of money. That's how you yeah, save for a down payment on home, right? It's all good stuff. All right. Mistake number six is a fun one. I I brought it up on on episode one and i'm really looking forward to to getting someone on here to kind of talk through this more in depth but kind of kind of interesting for a mistake to be fun right but mistake number six not negotiating your salary or your hourly wage right depending on what kind of role you're in 
you know, the issue at hand here is just simply a missed opportunity to increase your income. How often is there is there a chance for you to to boost your income without doing additional work, right? That's that's awesome. Who wouldn't want to do If you're making 50k in your job, wouldn't you rather make 55? Just things like that negotiating is is such an easy it's a, the process itself isn't necessarily super easy, but I'm saying it's an easy mechanism to boost your income, right? Otherwise, you know, if you make it, say you're, if you're making 50K in your job and you need an extra five, well, do, would you rather try to negotiate to get paid more for the one job you're doing or, you know, pick up a secondary job, like a side job to where, to make up that difference, right? So it's, Again, I'm, I can't wait to do a deep dive into this topic um, and talk about just you know how to negotiate the steps and whatnot. But it really the the most fundamental point here is it can't hurt. It can't hurt to ask. It you know negotiating is 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 part of the business world. It's part of work and it's expected, right? It is wholeheartedly expected. I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to you know I worry about offending you know my boss or like they just offered me a job like maybe i should just be grateful that they offered me a job granted there's some some caveats here of you know be aware of your your situation right so take covid for example maybe you've been out of work for several months and you really just need the first job that comes down the pipeline to you right maybe in that instance you, the priority isn't on you know i want to negotiate to get the most the priority is just on getting a paycheck so at that point, maybe you don't want to pursue the negotiation route. But in a lot of cases, it can't hurt to ask unless you do it you know, like blatantly disrespectfully. You know, come in demanding items like that. Because let's say, you know, say you get a job, right? And they say, hey, we're going to give you, you know, $50,000 for this role. Oftentimes, depending on the size of the company, but oftentimes those hiring managers have flexibility in what they can offer and you know and there's usually pay ranges for jobs right so that that position they might offer you 50 you don't know is their pay range you know 45 to 50 is it 47.5 to 52.5 or is it 50 to 55 right but they're making the first offer now's your chance to come in and say hey like i know i'm going to be great at this role like you know bam 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 here's like the key points here's how let me convey my value like here's how I'm going to really revolutionize your team, or at least make be a serious, serious player impact, make a big impact on on this organization, right? So I would really want 55, or I would like to I would like to see if you'd consider 55 instead. That's not an offensive ask. Like you're you're saying, hey, you know you're going to be a good fit. You you feel like it's a good it's a good position for you yourself to take on, and you already know you're going to overachieve. And so when you're going to overachieve well, then you should be rewarded and compensated appropriately, right? So don't hesitate to negotiate and take advantage of those pay ranges if they're out there. And worst comes to worst, they say no, right? And if they say no, then that you tried. And you're, you're, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by asking, right? You either get a raise or you stay where you're currently at, which no worries either way, right? Additionally, there are other opportunities, you know, 
outside your main job to increase your your income and i think this goes back to what i touched on with mistake number one about wasting time but you know find find good ways to monetize your your passions and hobbies right you know like maybe maybe you enjoy going to the beach and picking up sea glass and making jewelry right maybe you do and you can turn that into a profitable side business maybe you love baking and you know you do it as a hobby but you make everybody loves your chocolate chip cookies and you could sell them for you know 50 cents a piece like boom there you go side business easy money so find ways like that to monetize the other aspects of your life that's it's always good keep an open mind just look for look for opportunity in life that's a that's a great thing find where there's a need and see if there's a solution that you can develop um, to help fill that need all right Last but not least, mistake number seven, and that is not investing or taking age-appropriate risks. Yeah, this kind of goes in line with number five about not optimizing your your 401k, although that is more more geared towards, again, optimizing that plan, but as well as just planning for the future. The overarching piece here is you're not optimizing your return on your money, right? Right. Basically, you're you're accepting you're accepting less money, and your your money's your wealth is not growing as quickly or as efficiently as it should. I think a big part of this, and this is, I love talking to people about this. This is really one of my like my, my passion areas, I'd say, in the finance world, is just investing in general. But when I'm talking to folks about this around my age, a lot of them are. They're either they either don't know they're like oh well I know my my parents invest but I don't really know like where do I get started or they're scared right they're like hey man like I'm like barely getting by I'm, I'm not paycheck to paycheck but you know like it would be you know for me to put a hundred dollars into you know into my brokerage account or to my IRA like that's that's big for me right like I need to make sure I don't lose that money. the historical performance of the market has shown that yes it can be volatile in the short term right in a year two year you know multi-year span but over the course of decades it's an incredibly lucrative you know vehicle to use to grow your wealth and when you're young you don't have a ton of responsibilities right like you gotta you know take care of yourself um pay off debts, items like that. But for most, you know, you're probably not married. You're probably don't have kids. Um, you probably don't have a mortgage, right? Some very big expenses, big responsibilities where, where when you don't have those, you can take more risk, right? So you could take, you could take a thousand bucks and, and maybe take on some riskier investments. And if, you know, if you lose 50%, yeah, that's not fun, but it's not going to crush you, right? You're not going to lose your house if you lost 500 bucks, that kind of thing. So when you're young, take as much calculated risk as possible. Like you want to be in, you know, and think like, think about if you invested in Apple back in the eighties or Amazon in the late nineties. Um, I uh, often, I think about the, um, I think that Mark Andreessen's investment in Instagram, I think at the time, he put in like $250,000 and then, you know, his Instagram grew and grew and grew and eventually got bought out by Facebook. That $250,000 stake turned into 72 or $73 million. Mammoth, mammoth return, right? 
Like that's the kind of risk. Like very easily, that two hundred fifty thousand could have gone to zero, right? But think about like the upside. Like you could do that ten times, right? Say you take, you know, two hundred fifty thousand is kind of you know extreme example, a little bit beyond kind of you know most of others are financial means. But let's say if you had two point five million dollars and you invested in ten businesses, two hundred fifty thousand each. Say nine of them went to zero, and that one went to seventy three million. I think you're probably okay with losing $2.25 million to make $73 million. So that's where the importance of taking calculated risk comes in, is find ways like those early startups to try to be a part of. And you know, go into it, be comfortable. That's a big thing. You've got to be comfortable with your strategy, right? So understanding risk tolerance in your strategy, be comfortable with what your potential losses are, but man, take advantage of those massive, massive gains. And you know, a big part of it's it, it, a big part of this is age, right? So again, like I said, my emphasis is on you know younger younger individuals. But when you're 22, if you lost 500 bucks in the stock market, it'll probably hurt, but it's not again, it's not going to bury you for life. You know, you've got time to recover, time to to make those returns and get that money back, whether through work or through further investing and whatnot. If you're 70 years old. Probably not the best move to take your retirement funds and pour them into startup companies, right? Because you need that money there. So, you know, take age-appropriate risk. Understand not only your personal risk tolerance and your strategy, but take your age into account. How much time do you have to recover? Um, and, you know, common common sense then leads into as you get older, probably want to scale the risk down just so you're not you know you're not endangering your your personal wealth more than you necessarily should but and my encouragement is is start investing and i mentioned this in episode 1 i'm not a financial advisor i'm not not intending to give specific stock picks anything like that here on the capital adulting podcast but just as a as a simple simple example right from cnbc if you look at the s&p 500 for the last 90 years it averaged a 9.8% return so what does that mean? Start investing young and do it consistently. Some of the best advice I heard from a, from one of my teachers in high school was, he's like, find something that you know, you're really confident in. And he you know, gave an example of a specific fund that, that he looks at. But he's like, pick a dollar amount, say 100 bucks a month, right? Automatically deposit 100 bucks a month, put it, you know, put it all into, you know, put it into something that you're confident about, right? That is going to fuel your long-term growth, like maybe like an S&P index fund, something like, you know, something generic like that, right? That's diversified and, you know, not as risky. He's like, just put in a consistent amount every month, never look at it. It's like, if you do that, by the time you're 65, you'll be a millionaire without even thinking about it. So I think that's good advice. Start young, be consistent, be, have a good plan, understand tolerance and strategy, and find something that you're you're confident about. There's plenty of long-term you know funds, great vehicles that you can use if if you you know want to take kind of that that approach that I just talked through. But let that time and compounding interest work for you. Wow, I that may have been a lot. You know, I think especially for for some folks who are are newer to kind of getting a grip on their personal finance. I think there was a lot a lot of material there. But that's also not an exhaustive list, right? That was just seven of what I think are some of the most common mistakes that people are making nowadays and hopefully some you know, remedies to those. But 
again, not meant to be an exhaustive list. Um, hopefully I put it into kind of a relatable context there, right? Of things that are occurring in your day-to-day life where you might stop and think, hey, like I can make a beneficial change here and have a positive impact on my life going forward. Um, what I'm really excited about is kind of the the next the next series of episodes. Um, while I love doing these long kind of deeper dive podcasts into a lot of material, I think it's also going to be super beneficial to to take you know a specific topic like let's take credit for example, right? That's enough where you know I can you know have a quick 25 30 minute podcast just talking about how to handle credit items like that. So my plan is to use a lot of the material that we covered here, pick out you know individual topics and themes, and and do kind of shorter, more focused, more granular um, looks into into those items and getting you know hopefully getting that deeper into the detail where it's really going to be beneficial and hopefully in a little bit more compact of a of a timeline, you know, you'll find it kind of more, you know, easier to digest and apply to your life. But if again, you know, appreciate all of you out there listening. Um, it's, it's great to connect with you. Great to be in this journey with you to, you know, hopefully improving your, your financial life. Um, hopefully you're learning something. I can't wait, you know, to learn from you as well. I think there's so many awesome things that are that are coming up for the, for capital adulting, not only through the podcast, but through, you know, several other avenues. So if you enjoyed the podcast, you know, please, please give it a rating and a review would be awesome. Especially if you're on Apple podcasts, I'd love to hear your feedback. Do you like longer episodes, shorter episodes? Are there specific topics you want to hear more about? Let me know. Feel free to, to yeah leave those comments there. I'd love to hear them. And like I mentioned, the first one, I'm really excited to get some guests online here um, in the near future. And so it'll be great to stop hearing myself talk as much. And we'll be able to dive into these topics with, you know, and a more conversational frame. So again, y'all are awesome. Hopefully there's some good nuggets that you're able to pull from this and can apply to your own life. Um, again, this is the, the Capital Adulting Podcast. This is episode two. My name is Grant Gardner, and I'm looking forward to to joining y'all again shortly here. Thank you so much, and uh, have a great rest of your morning, day, night, wherever it might be, whatever time you're listening. Hope all is well on your end, and, and you're staying safe as you know as we go through all this craziness in the world. But until next time, this is Grant signing off.